1: Become a writer from someplace other than Los Angeles and New York, I still think that's really difficult.
0: Welcome to Entertainment Business Wisdom with your host, Kaya Alexander. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Kaya Alexander, host of the Entertainment Business Wisdom podcast. And I am joined today by my friend, Dave Rose, David Rosiak, who is now nine times produced screenwriter. We're so excited. He is going to be here with us. Let me tell you about him. Dave Rosiak was born on September 28th, 1974 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin as David Edward Rosiak. He yep. is a writer and actor known for Leftovers, The Storm, and Thirsty. Welcome, Dave.
1: Hey, hello. How are you?
0: Hey, I'm doing good, man. It's nice to see you. <laughs> you too.
1: You too. Hey, We've I'm talked thirsty. recently, but I, we haven't Zoomed. So um, I do like your background. Your background, the, the, the sort of like blurry avant-garde thing is cool. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: a <laughs> mess with all these fabulous Zoom filters. No, it's
1: good. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, yeah, happy to be here. Let's uh, let's 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 let, let let's shoot this. Let's shoot the the shit. I'm I'm excited.
0: I'm so glad. You know, and I know that you've joined us because you're in production right now, aren't you?
1: I am in production. Um, I have a haunted house movie that uh, I spent most of last year writing. Um, that is actually just into production. We were in pre for most of January, and um, we are shooting as of next week. So you I'm fairly stoked had- about that. Oh, that's awesome! So what did yeah. you do? Today? What's that?
0: What, so what did you do today?
1: Today, um, well, today I, I'm always working on numerous, you know, forward projects. Um, I spoke with I spoke with the producers and the director, you know, earlier on in the morning, um, and then I had a manager call after that to see the prog- you, know, you know the progress of, of, of a pilot I wrote as well too, and then simultaneously i am working on a comic book so i worked on some outlining for that as well too
0: that sounds like a really fun day it was it
1: was just i mean it's, I, I spent the day making shit up you know um <laughs> hey, and it, that's
0: creative how do you structure yourself when you have so much creativity firing on all cylinders like that i mean you have
1: to structure your day uh, uh, uh um and sort of plot out what you're going to be working on and when um i tend to spend about two hours per you know on, on a project per day because once you go beyond like two or three you kind of hit burnout right um you know so what i'll do is i'll i'll get up you know I, i'm an early riser some of it like 7 a.m right and i'll work on like the most i guess the most looming project for a couple hours i'll take a, a break I'll, I'll take like a doggy play date break after that and, uh, and then come back and work two hours on another one. And then two hours on another one post that, like, so it's like a six to you know, maximum eight hour day.
0: That's a lot for a creative too, to like, you know, hit the gas on all that.
1: I mean, you have to, it's, it's, it's ultimately, um, it's, it's work at the same time. Like you're, you're creative, but it's work. It's a business. Oh my yeah. You have to, you have to have, um, some discipline. You know, uh, that's, 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 the key thing. Uh, I, I I was talking to the manager a friend of mine about that recently too. Um, you have to treat it like it's a job, even though it's fun. Right. Um, and even, even before I, you know, was, was working, I treated it like it was my secondary job, you know, until someone get a pay for it and then it became my primary job. So there we are.
0: Yeah. So that kind of focus sounds like you're driven, still driven. Got to say.
1: Yeah,
0: completely. Well, as we have been chatting about, especially for writers, I know you're full of tips and like mistakes to avoid. Maybe sure. let's dive in and like talk some, talk some mistakes to avoid. Cause one of the things I know from posting this podcast is that mm-hmm. for every, uh, great success, there are always like failures that come along yeah. with it. there are things that you didn't know starting out that you wish you knew. like, do you have any advice for your younger self? I, could I mean,
1: advice, about. advice for my younger self or things to avoid. Um, um, don't be a loudmouth on social media, right? That's, that, that, that's the key thing I, I, I've learned and learn occasionally again. Um, social media is about putting your presence out there, right? And usually what you want to do is put forth a positive presence. Um, bitching about things, talking about movies you hate, um, going off on writers or directors you don't like, not a good idea. Um, and the reason being, very simply, you could find yourself in a room with someone someday who could hire you. And they read your shitty tweet about that. And they don't hire you out of spite, right? I, you know, uh, again, like, I'm, I'm all about talking about what you want to talk about. Save some of that stuff for personal conversations, right? Be the positive person, you know, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, or whatever. Um, and put forth your best self. You know what I mean?
0: Oh, yeah. No, completely. I think we've all kind of learned that the hard way. I know that I have, too. Sometimes things get misconstrued as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've I definitely had my share of, of stupid Twitter wars and things like that. But overall, like, I think it's it's built me as a, a more positive person. And the same thing, too, when you approach people in person, you want people to remember you um, not for what you were complaining about, but for, for what you brought to the conversation.
0: Right, you know. We did. You and I actually met at the uh, writer mixer, the one that happened last year in summer. And uh, I I was, didn't know it was going to be like two (laughs) hundred (laughs) people. There were a lot, Mr. Steinberger. Uh, yeah, Yeah, there was a lot of people. I was, I was interesting, and I was grateful that you took care of me at that mixer. It was really sweet.
1: It was a very intense mixer, not gonna
0: lie. We had name tags. There were so many of us. We had name tags, and like most of us had not even left the house. Remember just a group of writers who haven't left the house for like the pandemic? We're all introverted. (laughs) And then we're like, oh, there's gonna be 200 of us. Yeah, it was overwhelming for sure. And that
1: was was right before Delta hit too, right? Right. Yeah. So we We were were all like, yay, we're free. Uh, so I, think I made good friends out of that. I'm, I'm, you know, you and I became friends out of that. Me and uh, uh, Frank Tarzinski, who's on Twitter as Tarzan Writes, have become like besties. You know, um, and I got to meet a lot of folks I'd only ever corresponded with, you know, via Twitter, which is a great thing.
0: And we got to find out
1: that you're six three. I'm, I'm six four. <laughs> you're 6'4 I'm, I'm, yeah, you know, So I'm David and Goliath at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I'm a tall guy.
0: Oh, that's so funny um that's great well uh in terms of those mistakes like what about for what about career stuff like when it comes to the actual work the writing the production you know what, tell me about that
1: i mean uh, as far as mistakes go or oh, as far as, as
0: you avoid what would you tell your younger self never send uh,
1: a photo of your well pe- I, I i can give you a story actually i'll give you a story okay i love a story um i uh i i work with a former partner of mine I've worked with two partners. I'm working with a female partner now before that I worked with a male partner. He and I had written a, a pretty cool action script, uh, that got a lot of notice, right? We got read all over town. We got like, we met with like the people who produced the born movies. Right. And then we had a producer that got really interested. And, um, and he and his assistant, you know, we were, we're into us. They let, they love the script and, uh, they wanted to, uh, have a movie night with us. Right? Watching movies that have inspired the scripts. And my dumbass. Uh hold on. Let me grab my dog is barking. Let me grab
0: her. We're, we're all dog friendly here.
1: We're gonna pull Zoe onto <laughs> the, onto the, the cutest
0: here. dog. She's a Zoe. rescue. Her name is Zoe.
1: She's a a Lhasa Maltese mix.
0: Oh my God. The cutest. She she, looks exactly like Falcor, which she's always tired of hearing though. But yeah,
1: (laughs) she pulled a muscle in her leg today too. She's, she's kind of hurting. She pulled a muscle in her leg today. So Mm -hmm. I've been like watching her, but okay. Anyway, so this producer wanted to have a movie night of movies that had, um, inspired us. And I stupidly picked like these really obscure movies. Right. Um, were not necessarily mainstream and don't appeal to everybody. And it was a disaster. Right. Because producers in general, they're looking at the big picture for quadrant films. They want to make money. Right. And, they want you know, I showed
0: commercial, I, they heard yeah. action movie. They think it's commercial and they want you to yeah. commercial
1: movies or something. Exactly. Right. So I showed him like dark in the sun with Rod Taylor, you know, and he's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> um, you know, and uh and we almost lost the gig because of that. Ultimately, you want to you want to a, a, again like you want to um bring your voice forward, but you also want to stress the the commercial appeal. And again, anything can be sold commercially, it's just how you approach it.
0: I mean that's an interesting point. So uh unpack that a little bit.
1: Um let's unpack it a little bit. So basically it's it's how you sell your specific story. Everyone has their own voice. Everyone comes from their own background, right? Um, but at the same point, it's packing it into a film that can that can cross appeal. Uh, easy example is Parasite. The, it's it's a Korean film. It's very Korean, right? But it crosses barriers uh, uh, and basically is is ultimately about the elite versus the little man. Right,
0: the classism.
1: Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's entirely about classism. And it, and, it, and it works because of that. Even though it's specifically speaking to a very Korean experience at the same time, it spoke to all of us. I mean, obviously it won Best Picture as well, too. That's, that's, I guess, the best example of it.
0: That is a good example. The universality of a story well told has universal
1: appeal. Absolutely. Squid Games, uh, speaking of Korean stuff, is another one, another example that, that just hit huge everywhere. You know, uh, and, and again, universal appeal. I think that's we're all human. You know, Um, I may not have grown up in like turn of the century Japan, for example, but I can watch a movie by Kurosawa that speaks to that and makes it resonate with me as some, you know, dumbass white guy in America.
0: That's really cool. But what? Do you, yeah, I bet you learn a lot every time you have a movie go into production. You probably learn mm-hmm. from that production and from that experience. Do you lo- do a lot of rewrites while stuff is in production? Are you one of those writers? Is the script pretty locked by the time you're going in? Tell me about your process.
1: It's been a mix. It's been a mix. Um, I have my the first film I ever had made. Well, the first thing I ever made was a, an NBC mini series, uh, four hour mini called Shark Swarm, uh, with like Daryl Hannah and John Schneider and Murray Abraham. And the director was a great guy. He was, uh, he had been uh, William Friedkin's former uh, director of photography. He shot Cruising, he shot To Live and Die in LA. Um, and we really hit it off. So he flew us to set, right? And we were doing on-set rewrites every day, right? based I mean, I, again, you things will change based on just on practicality. Like we don't have this set, we have this. What can we do with this? Right, um, so that was trial by fire. It was it was us, you know, literally working on set, uh, taking a laptop over to the side and rewriting a scene on the fly. You know, whereas I've had other projects where the script was locked and they just went with it. I personally like to be as involved as possible. Right, because um, if you run if you run into problems, I'm there. I'm there to fix them for you or to give you alternatives. Yeah, so, yeah. Sense. So, yeah, it's process change from from film to film. But uh, I I do my best to be as involved as possible.
0: Well, one of the cool things that I've really enjoyed about our conversations is you have a female writing partner and you really like uh, champion her and celebrate her. And she sounds like she's brought a lot uh, to your guys's process and everything. What's it like to work with a writing partner? Did you always have one?
1: Well, let me, let me first name her so that, that she gets oh, out Lauren, there. Right? Uh, her name is Lauren Kinchelow. Right. Um, she's a former uh, stand-up comic turned writer. Um, and uh, I'll get into how I met her in a minute. But basically, we have a pretty great process, ultimately. like I met Lauren at, uh, at a friend's birthday party in the Valley here in, in L.A. And like everybody else I ever meet in L.A., she was like, hey, I've been, I did a short film. And I said, cool, let me watch it. And I watched it. And, you know, um, you see a lot of short films made by folks that are just kind of okay or fine or whatever. Um, hers was incredibly well written and gripping. And she starred in it, too. Right. And I was really taken with it. And so I had, uh, I had at the same time been writing a, a feature with a female protagonist. And, uh, and I'll just, like, fully own this. Like, I'm a good writer. But the, at the end of the day, I'm still a dude. Right, um, I don't have the POV of a woman, um, so I approached Lauren and said, "Look, I love what you did. Would you like to work with me?" You know, um, and, I, and I pitched her the script idea, and she loved it, and and brought so much to it, and also brought because of the stand-up comedy stuff, she brought an amount of humor to a serious script that really, really helped out. So, um, and we've been working together for like four years now, so we've kind of developed a, a very similar voice. Right, we can. we you know, we're, we're when we we're working together. For example, we I mean, we outline everything, and it's clear kind of who wants to tackle which scenes first. You know, so then she or I will write like these scenes, and then we'll send them to each other, and then polish from there. Right, so the voice remains the same.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. What about the business collaboration side of like how you guys came to an agreement? And did you like actually create a, a working contract with each other? What was your decision making there?
1: It, we straight up just, I mean, it, it, very simple. We said 50 50. Right. Um, it's uh, uh, there. there's, you know, it's we signed with we sign with management, it's 50 50 down the line. If I work with any partner, um, I don't believe in like, oh, I came up with 65% of that, you know, or whatever. Um, it it's, it's all of us working on the same thing. Right. So yeah, it's just, it's just straight half down the line. Um, you know, credit where credit's due, you know, and two, if you see my tweets, um, all of my favorite lines are always written by her, you know? So yeah, it's uh but no, no, again, as much credit as possible. You know, I want us I want us both to make money and to be happy with what we're doing.
0: Yeah. That's amazing especially in this time of like after me too. And after me too, it's really Mm -hmm. like, I talk to women, I talk to men and there's still a lot of like apprehension about who do you trust and how do you trust them? And what happens? I know men in the industry who've been like, I'm just not hiring any women. It's like, wait a (laughs) minute, (laughs) that's not going to help any, the, the whole cause. And I'm not sure if we have any stats of like, if it actually has helped um, and I said stats, but I mean like, you know, data as like has yeah. it helped women get more work? And you know, I don't I don't necessarily know. I like to hope that we're going that direction in the long term trajectory yeah. uh, for gender inclusion, but I think we're we we are not there, at least in the Annenberg report that comes out, that should be due out any time. You know, we
1: agreed, yeah.
0: We tend to not be there to the 5050 yet with your experience working together, mm-hmm. would you talk about, you know, not, ev- not everybody knows like what a writer step deal is. What do you, when do you get paid and at what stages of payment does that happen? And, you know, could you talk about that a little bit? Cause I think for people who, you know, want to work in the entertainment, mm-hmm. business, work as writers they don't necessarily know it would be helpful. Sure.
1: Sure. Absolutely. There are basically three steps, three broad steps to any contract. Um, when you sign a contract, um, usually it's an assignment because assignments are about 95% of what you do in this town. Um, you get a commencement, a commencement check. Um, by that point, you've already turned in an outline/slash treatment based on what you're gonna do. Right. Um, so we'll jump back actually. Even be- before you sign a contract, um, you make a pitch, someone likes it. They say, Give me something in writing, right? So you spend a few days, you know, outlining. I, I tend to do a beat outline and then a full treatment because I feel a full treatment is really giving you like the entire thing just pushed right out there. Um, once they like it, <laughs> they, that's that's when they come up with a contract. You usually, get a commencement fee, which is around like thirty percent of what you're going to get paid, right? Um, so at that point, you're looking towards first draft right first draft tends to be the next big payment usually that's within about eight weeks right um then you have ensuing drafts post that which is the final payment right which is usually about five to six weeks post that so you're looking at like a three month time period um and that is if the studio pays on time let me let me qualify that too because lots of them don't
0: what about like commencement and principal photography things like that
1: I mean, principal photography, ultimately, like, at least in my experience, you're already fully paid mm-hmm. when, when, when photography is beginning. Right. Um, and uh, if you're there, you're there basically, just to make sure things turn out right. Ultimately, like, uh, I mean, like, I've been lucky, at least in my career, that uh, on the films I've worked on, I have befriended people in, in the accounts department. Right. So I got paid pretty well on time. You know, um, but there are guys who worked on, I know, I know who've worked on huge studio pictures that are still chasing payments like three years later.
0: Crazy. You don't want to hear that.
1: Yeah. It, it, it does happen.
0: Chase the money, you got to befriend those people in the accounts department. <laughs>
1: <laughs> precisely. Precisely. Oh, so, I mean, that's but yeah, a- it's basically, it's, it's basically like a, like a three-step process, you know, um, understand to, um, those steps definitely include early going, writing a fucking outline. And I want to stress that. To Twitter, which always argues about outlines, um, you're gonna have to do them, Especially, no matter what.
0: We know that's really part of television; like nothing gets written without an outline,
1: and movies too. Let's be fair; nobody's nobody's going to um, to finance you rolling the dice. Um, it's it's very beneficial because you turn that you turn that outline in, and um, guess what? You get notes back on it, and you can implement them before you've gone to script, right? And then you get the credit for them when they turn out well.
0: I have an interesting process. I like to do a vomit draft and then Mm -hmm. outline. I like to do like an exploratory, who are these people and what are they doing and what do they care about? And I'll just dive in and do an exploratory. And then I set that aside, make a full outline and then look at what's working. What do I Mm -hmm. like? And then Mm -hmm. I start to migrate the rest of it to a boneyard. And sometimes I pull from that boneyard for other scripts and future ideas. And things like that it kind of keeps a creative like pot of where you can draw from and reference
1: i get that i mean like what we do we, we have a, a bit of a different process we still have our vomit process at first uh uh lauren and i will get together and like one of us will be pacing and like just shouting out ideas right and we're just doing a big vomit document of like everything we think is kind of cool uh-huh. we want to use in this thing right um and only then kind of once we've done that we've made this document we we sit we sit for like a couple of days and think about it and then we start to do a beat outline um and my beat outlines i'm going to share this i actually stole this from our mutual friend eric rogers
0: oh i love eric uh,
1: eric eric uh, for those listening and watching um eric worked on futurama um he's brilliantly funny
0: brilliantly um, funny
1: but uh eric eric taught me this and it's fascinating i have a um a mirrored double closet door in my office. So my beat outlines are written in dry erasable marker on those closet doors, right? Um, with like red for the big scenes and blue for regular ones, right? Um, because it's staring me in the face, they're not super detailed, it's like, you know, interior, blah, 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 this happens, right? Um, and again, this isn't like high school, I'm not, I'm not doing like defined outlines, I'm just doing beep, beat 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 beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Yeah. And it stares me in the face. And, and whenever I walk in there, it's like, okay, David, get to work.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. I, I love that idea. I'm a wall thinker, too. Yeah. I I didn't know that about myself or my process, but I remember early, early on in uh, college reading an article about Anne Rice, an interview with her. And she 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 was writing in her attic in (laughs) New Orleans and she was a big wall thinker and she had big walls up with all her ideas and post-it notes and everything Mm -hmm. like that, big bulletin boards and whatnot. And I was like, oh my God, I love that idea of A, devoting an entire room in your house to your creativity especially your attic, how bleeding. That's amazing. And rice, oh my God. Yeah, um, may she
1: rest in peace. Love her death, yeah.
0: Oh, no kidding, may she rest it's in that. peace. And thank you for all those amazing characters. Those so mm-hmm. cool. I love the idea of writing on the walls and have. I feel like it was what we yeah. were in to do as children
1: to write on the walls. <laughs> it's so fun. I, but it goes it's back like, God, to like
0: it's the best way to harvest I,
1: I it goes back to like hieroglyphs on like cave walls <laughs> too. Like you're telling stories that way, and also you save money on whiteboards. You know, <laughs> and um, but yeah, no. Eric, Eric, did that, and I, I met I, I met Eric for the first time a couple of years ago, and, and we we talked about that process, and it was just revelatory. me. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna. I've got, I've got your closet doors. Let's do this.
0: Isn't yeah, that cool? This is where I wish Zoom had the function of a phone and we could actually call out. Cause I would ring her right now. Yeah. Like we're live. <laughs> we
1: oh, we, we, we can phone a friend. We can phone a friend. Know, right? Say, hi. <laughs> Say hi to the people, Eric. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean like every process is different. That works really well for me. So, you know, um, again, I like I, I like to think visually. And the cool thing, too, is it's like, you're like, okay, this scene doesn't work here. Let's move it over here, right? I used mm-hmm. to do it with cards, but this is even better.
0: But this is even better. I know that there's, like, some writer's room, uh, like for the for the big board that they're yeah, like yeah. little bitty magnets that you can move around right you can write on the magnet and then move it around which sounds also really smart if you have yeah. a big old big old magnetized board that you can play with that way we just like the fun creative toys it's pretty we do awesome. i mean
1: like it's it's funny like i mentioned the shark mini series thing i wrote that was where i really learned um how well outlines help you so i was writing this 4 hour thing Right. Um, and there's a whole fun story about that. I ended up having to write most of it in six days.
0: That's a lot of coffee, man.
1: <laughs> it's a lot of coffee. Um, but cards at that time helped as well too. And they were very, very similar to the, the outlying on the front the door. It was basic index cards laid out on a table so I could see every scene. Right. And, and make sense of it all. And ultimately once you've done that, once you've done that process, the scripting shit is easy right? Um, because you've solved your problems.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. That's, no, that's a really good point. I got like another place that I wanted to go with this question around mm-hmm. your creative process. In fact, why don't we just jump to, why don't you tell us about some of your movies so our listeners can check them out? What are you, What have oh, you done that you're the most proud of? Tell us all.
1: My f- my favorite film that I've done is, is actually currently streamable on um uh, Tubi and uh, and FilmRise. It's called uh, Hard Ride to Hell. It is a, uh, satanic cannibal biker film, um, that is an homage to like every grindhouse drive-in film I ever grew up loving. Um, it was actually the first movie I sold. Um, and then so you have five years to get made. Um, and we got Miguel Ferrer in it from Twin Peaks. We got Catherine Isabel from Ginger Snaps. Um, it was directed by a brilliant Canadian woman, um, who just knocked it out of the park for, for a lower budget. Right. Um, and fascinatingly enough, it's the closest any film has come to a script I've written. It's like 95% the script that was turned in. Right. Uh, there's a, f- a fun story behind it. Uh, we sold it in 2006. Right. And then got another gig at the same time. And it kept getting reoptioned until they paid us off and it never got made. And then in 2010, I was home visiting my parents for Christmas. And I was like, man, hard ride right to hell wish that got made what a good title and so i decided to google it and see if anyone else had, like come up with the title and i come across this this article saying hard rides to hell in production in canada satanic cannibal biker film and i'm like what the hell is going on here so what had happened was i mean they bought it it, it had been bought but the company that bought it um bankrupted and they ended up they had a sister company in canada that got all their unproduced stuff and. That was the one that floated to the top. And so they had just begun to make it. And so I reached out to them and I was like, hey, yeah, yo, guys, I'm the writer. I wrote this movie. And they were like, oh, well, there you are. We've been looking for you.
0: That's crazy.
1: Yeah. Um, and they're like, we're almost done shooting this thing. Want to come see it? Oh, um, that's so cool. All right. So they, I, I got to go up to Canada and see it filmed, um, you know, uh, the last week of it filmed. And then, um, you know, months later, I get this movie dropped into my lap, you know, that is, um, I, I kid you not, uh, if it's the only film of mine where when I was watching it for the first time, I began to get teary because it was everything I had imagined writing that script. So, yeah, that was that, that that's, that's, that's the one. If you're going to watch that's anything amazing of amazing
0: synchronicity and story that like you decided to just mm-hmm. look up the title and yeah it was such a cool title and then you find out your own movie is in production and you didn't yeah. even know
1: that i had no clue yeah it was it was uh, and, uh, again because they're canadian they couldn't find me but uh, uh and <laughs> hey i sold two more movies to them uh, at the same time too so that was that was also an- i'm gonna now
0: book. google my high school crush and that person will be getting a divorce
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go there you go
0: you <laughs> hey, you never know; it could happen. It could happen. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk. Let, let's talk tips for above the line creatives. You've worked with writers and producers and directors, and I love any tips that you have to bring our audience. Um,
1: uh, first and foremost, tip is don't be precious about anything you've written. Right, be open to notes. Um, because there are a lot of folks out there that really have some great ideas, right. Um, that you may not have come up with yourself. Um, so be open, right. Um, because ultimately if you implement them, you're still the one who gets credit for them. Right. You know, Um, nobody is seeking to make a bad movie, Right. Um, yes, and you may, you,
0: people will support what they help create and everyone exactly. kind of wants to feel like their voice matters and it's a collaborative process.
1: Exactly. Um, The other thing is, and I mentioned this earlier, work at it like it's your job. Even if you're working a shitty day job, which we've all done it, we've all been there, right? Working at nights. You know, um, when I was working at crappy call center in the early 2000s in the Valley, I was going home at night and I was clocking in as a writer for four hours. You know, Um, and getting something done no matter what. Right, treat it like it's a job. um, Because if you do, it will eventually become one, you know, um, and to, uh, you I, give I guess yourself to, your
0: own mo- You give yourself momentum when you do that. You're not waiting for someone else to like say, Oh, by the way, we pick you, you know, to have this as your job, you're creating your own steam.
1: Precisely, precisely. Um, and keep writing and keep writing, add more to, add more to your CV, right? Um, you finish one, start another. Right, um, and guess what? It's just like a muscle, it's like working out, you get better, yeah, um, you flex creatively, you you improve, you know, just like when you go to the gym when you first start, your muscles are shaky, but then you get stronger, right um so <laughs> if you look back at your stuff, you see an evolution, and that's a good thing,
0: yeah, no doubt that is a good thing. How have you evolved? Tell me about that,
1: I mean, my God, I've evolved massively, um, <laughs> it's my early stuff was off the cuff, just, just, just writing a script, starting it out and, you know, not ever finishing, you know, coming like three quarters close to finishing and not doing it. Um, and to, uh, you know, my, my dialogue and action wasn't that developed. It's just a case of, of doing it over and over again, making this, um, uh, making this an exercise. Ultimately, like I, I, I'm not saying I'm great or anything, but I can tell a story, right? I can keep some butts in seats, right? Um, So I I think I've become uh, smoother, I guess would be the best way to describe it.
0: That's interesting. I guess never has that been more important because when you're at home, think about all the distractions. Yeah. You know, the kid and the phone and the laundry and
1: (laughs) And then you're
0: one click away from porn. I mean, there's just terrible, (laughs) there's...
1: What, you, just na- you just nailed something too
0: distractions like how do you compete with all that you gotta be really good
1: turn off the tv turn off the internet right um it don't even sit by a window because you'll look out that damn window right um you know uh focus that's 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 the key and give yourself like my goal basically is seven pages a day it's not a lot right but I do it five, six days a week, it adds up quickly.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, it's true. I'm pretty, i a runner also. And mm-hmm. I run, you know, on the days I don't surf, I run two or, two or three miles. Sometimes it's four or five, which sounds like, okay, which is running, you know, 10, 20 yeah. miles a week. But then you look at like a year and it, like last year, I was like, I ran over a thousand miles last year. And the same exactly. thing through with pages, you're like, what, you know, like that really ends up becoming mm-hmm. something.
1: Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Again, it adds up, you know, even if you write a page or two a day, guess what? It's a page or two that you didn't have a day before.
0: Yeah, completely. Which is that that's
1: good. something I tweet all the time. I'm like write one page today. It's one that you, it's, it's one that you lack yesterday. I'm inspired. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> good. Good.
0: My, you know, my body has changed since I got into my forties too, because I need these things. I'm, I'm touching my glasses <laughs> right now and uh, I had perfect vision and now my eyes get tired. So I get, uh, eye fatigue. So I ended up flipping my whole schedule and doing a lot more work in the mornings when I'm fresh and sure. you don't expect that that's going to happen when you're a night owl, but eventually, you know, you find a flow with like where you're getting, where the productivity is happen- happening, happening so that you can tap that tap that vein and I think I started to value it more too in midlife where it was like maybe I had more pressure on myself when I was younger of like oh I really gotta do this thing and less was happening but now it's like oh I really get to do this and I love it and I can't wait until I get that time to put you know be in the
1: saddle doing it. Absolutely it's funny it's funny you mentioned the night owl you mentioned the night owl versus the morning thing. Um I've had that switch in my forties as well too. You know where I was always the the quintessential night owl, working until four a.m. Now I'm up at seven every day, right? Um, I tend to get the best work done in those early hours because st- you're still you're still kind of like solo doing your stuff on your own, but uh, but I tend to like that momentum of the beginning of the day more now. Yeah, plus
0: you get to relax at the end of the day because you're like, oh, I got everything done. I got my Exactly. I can unwind. And there's not the sense of like everything in front of you. I interviewed Mark Sopkin on this podcast who's the executive producer of the Golden Girls. And I was asking him about his process and it was like he waited and procrastinated until the last possible moment and pretty much started writing his draft that was due the very next morning at like 11 o'clock at night. I mean,
1: we've all done that. It's <laughs> She's just, a genius, I, 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 I don't with,
0: Oh, if that's if that's your process, though, you
1: know, like wow. Yeah. That I, I mean, like I get it. I get it. Sometimes writing is difficult. It comes more, more, more harshly. Uh, but wow, yeah, I, I, I like to have some preparation.
0: <laughs> Hurling you into the abyss. Oh wait, that's Noah Evesland's podcast. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, talk to me about the friends that you've made in the entertainment business school. I talk about finding your wolf pack. So the question is really, who's in your wolf pack right now? We know Lauren is, tell me about who else is in your wolf pack.
1: Lauren is Eric Rogers is definitely one. Um, there's a guy named Frank Tarzansky who's on Twitter as Tarzan writes. Um, he and I have become good buddies. Um, but let me reach back actually and, and, and call out the buddy who started it all and tell you a cool story about that too. There is a writer named Mark Wheat. Mark um, has written several film, films, including the Friday thir- the 13th remake done back in the late 2000s. Mark is the person who literally reached out and gave me a career. Uh, so we're going to jump back in time to 2006. right? When I was just some random guy working, working a job in casting in Los Angeles, desperately trying to sell my stuff. Um, And this is back in the day when every website had a message board, like Reddit, basically, right? Um, And I was a big horror guy, so I was, like, posting on horror message boards and stuff. And uh, I had heard that they were remaking Friday the 13th. So I posted on this message board what I would do with the remake of that movie, like all my ideas. So it turns out the guy who's writing it, Mark Wheaton, is reading this message board. And he DMs me. He's like, hey, Dave, um, just to let you know, a lot of the ideas you came up with are things I'm actually tackling in the movie. Right. And so a bell went off in my head, and I was like, this is a person to be, become friends with. Right. You know, if anything, just to like glean ideas off of him and like his process. Um, we became very good friends to the point that he invited me, you know, to go have coffee with him. And at the same point was like, hey, why don't you bring one of your scripts? That script was Hard Ride to Hell, by the way. Um, so I went to House of Pies over on the east side, met, met up with Mark, brought the script. Um, about a day later, he texts me and was like, I love this thing. Just want to let you know, this is, this is like a perfect midnight movie, blah, blah, blah. I was like, thank you so much. Two days later, he texts me again. He's like, Dave, I was in the office of an exec today. And he's a horror guy like us. And he asked if I had anything and I didn't. But I mentioned your script, is that cool? And I was like, well, "Are you kidding? It's it's insanely cool. Yes, absolutely." Um, and we sold it to that exec a week later.
0: Wow, that's amazing. That's such that's a smart. great handoff. That's so sweet too. And I guess you know it's a good reminder too for anyone who thinks about like. That you actually can do that. You can recommend other writers. And mm-hmm. I, I love it in those moments where like maybe you aren't a direct fit in that general yeah. meeting for that exec, but maybe you know someone who is by the time you've talked to them and it's it ends up being so meaningful for everybody. Yeah. It's always good karma. It always comes back around for you too.
1: Absolutely. And and, and it's, it's something I try to I try to do myself, you know, with folks. It's like it's, I mean, I get the expressions all, but pay it forward. Read if you if you read something that you love, mention it right? Help, help people out that, uh, that need it. You know, I mean, there's been a handful of folks that I have like tried to push forward, you know, over the years and a few that have, that it's actually worked out for. So yeah, I, I, again, because somebody reached out and helped me and who had no reason to other than kindness.
0: That's such a good feeling, but it's really beautiful. It does take a village, especially in this industry, you know, the more yeah. people you have looking out for you, the, the better your career is going to go just in general
1: people who Absolutely. have your back.
0: Cause it's so hard. It's so it hard. Is. This is such a hard career. And the, you know, the, I think the beautiful thing is the friends you make along the way.
1: Yeah. I mean, everyone's in the wilderness when they, when they, when they get out here and start this, you know, first off and, and it is, you're right. It's, it's building that wolf pack. And You talk about this a lot. And I love that, you know, um, of people who support you and that you back as well. Like you've all got each other's back. I love that stuff. Right. Um, and I, and I definitely think you're in that wolf pack with me too hey look at that we we talk that we talk a good bit and and it's it's always supportive and and not in like a cloyingly like toxic positivity kind of way it's just real
0: yeah which i appreciate about you too
1: yeah absolutely sure
0: yeah it's funny as you were talking i was thinking about like just even my own path about like stuff I've been wrong about looking back of like mistakes and thinking, Oh, what would I do differently? And I was thinking of this moment that I had with my boss at Inferno when I was a development exec and Mm -hmm. he and I were always putting our heads together about what were we watching? What do we like? What was good? And he got sent a screener of a movie um, from South Africa called Totsi. And we sat down to watch, to watch it um, because the director had sent it to us saying, hey, do you guys have any notes for us on this movie? We're cutting together the final version of this film and we're gonna submit it to the Academy Awards. And we loved yep, yep. the movie. But we weren't sure about the ending and as we watched it, we were like, well, I don't know if the ending works. It totally felt different than the rest of the movie. So we got back to the guy. we were like, look, this is a gorgeous movie. It's so stunning. It's a world we've never seen. We love this main character. And we're yeah. not sure about the ending. We're a little bit hitching on it. And the director's like, thank you very much for your notes implemented none of them and oh by the way won the academy award <laughs> for that movie won best Foreign. um <laughs>
1: It happens, it happens. Everyone reacts differently to different things, you know,
0: it, it, it depends. Um, yeah. And you know, it's like, it is a very subjective industry at the end of the day. You, you know, you've got to know, you've got to know when you got to die on that mountain beside mm-hmm. the thing that you are just your baby. And then also, you yeah. know, okay, when do I relinquish and let other people have a say in the process? And when did do when does that matter? And you know, yeah. all of that. it can be hard to know. How do you know?
1: Okay. Choose your battles. Uh, um, I do I know to choose my battles. I, what I do is, uh, I pick the biggest things I don't want to change. Right. Um, and kind of make a mental list of those. And then I look at the things that I'm okay with changing. Um, it, it goes back again, um, to the shark movie. Um, when we wrote this, so the, the, the miniseries, pardon me. When we wrote this. I remember vividly it was our first big notes meeting and, uh, I smoked cigarettes at the time. So I was out front by furiously smoking and pacing. And uh, I listed off like 10 things I did not want to change whatsoever that I was drawing a line in the sand for to my partner. And we go up to the meeting. And what do you think the first 10 things they give us notes on are? Those things I didn't want to change. Right. And so I had this moment where I was like, David, you have bills to pay. <laughs> you, you live with a girlfriend. You have all these responsibilities. And I was like, okay, let's talk, right? Let's let's figure out what we can change, right? Um, I'm amenable overall to virtually anything except larger beats and themes, right? Um,
0: off the whole flow of the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's uh, you can get notes that may seem simple, but that, that then like have a domino effect that change everything. You know, uh, you've experienced it right um but uh but overall i i i thank this is sort of the William Goldman thing of uh, if somebody like asks, asks for a strange note, all I tend to do is ask them to explain it more. Right. And if they can't, the note kind of goes away.
0: Mm, interesting. I like that.
1: Yeah. It happens a lot when you're like, oh, okay. So tell me how you want me to do that. How does that work? How does this happen? All right. Um, and, and usually, yeah, you're finding out that someone just had this random idea and, and they just kind of blow it off. Oh, that's
0: so, interesting. I love that. Yeah. Hey, so your next foray is into directing. Tell me what's happening with that. I'm really happy for you, my friend.
1: <laughs> it is. It is. Um. So yes. Um, was, I'm co-directing with my writing partner. Actually. Um. We're we're working on financing right now. We've got half the budget. Excellent. Um. It's a it's a it's a lower budget film. It's a confined space thriller. Kind of meets an art film. Um. I'm not going to discuss it in depth. You know what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. But we're halfway there. Um, so I'm looking towards the end of the year for us to start, you know, um, I, 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 again, this is not something I want to like, uh, discuss too terribly much yet until we're there.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. So,
1: um, but I'm excited. It's, it's a woman-based, uh, thriller, um, set in a very, uh, distinct milieu.
0: Are woman-based thrillers rare?
1: I don't think they're, I think, I think they're actually less rare. Um, these days, I think, I think we've, we've definitely seen, um, more female leads, you know, over the last like 10, 15 years than, than we got before. Um, hold on. Sorry. Hi, Billy. Dogs barking. Welcome you. to the podcast. That's uh, yeah, yeah. She was just making herself known.
0: Um, okay. no, I, th- I, I feel like a Muppet. Th- you like live with a Muppet.
1: I really <laughs> do. She is, she is Falcor. but no, I, th- I think good thrillers are, are a rarity. you know? Um, Not necessarily saying this is the greatest thing ever, but I'm pretty stoked about it, you know, and I feel that Lauren brought enough to it to, to make it distinct.
0: I I enjoy thrillers a lot, especially if they're you know thought provoking. What was mm-hmm. the one you recommended on Twitter the other day that was like a throwback, and I ended up rewatching it with Russell Crowe and Amy Adams, and it was oh, um, uh, *State of Play*. *State of Play*. I was like, you know, I haven't seen this in forever either, and you were like, dude, this really holds up, and I was it's like, so- I'm gonna watch *State to of Play* tonight, and
1: <laughs> it's the last good journalism thriller. Right, it a,
0: like it, it was so god, it was the beginning of the end. It just seemed mm-hmm. like it just captured such an era in journalism, too. It made me really nostalgic.
1: I miss mid budget thrillers in general. Like, uh, that that was, I mean, the 90s, of course, is the greatest time from the mid budget thrillers where you have stuff like Kurt Russell and Breakdown or like Michael Keaton in Pacific Heights, like movies that just like you can sink into and have a really good time. And you're two hours and you're out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, those, those are those are those are those are my 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 uh my personal forte. I love those stuff. It's
0: That's interesting. That. Where all the Oscar hopefuls this year are like two and a half hours, three hours long. Yeah. A lot of them.
1: I don't have. What that was time. your favorite? What was your
0: favorite movie of this of this season that we're coming into?
1: Well, to be fair, I haven't I haven't caught up with a lot of stuff. Um. That you liked the like
0: The Last Duel? I watched that one. You recommend it? I
1: liked it? The Last Duel. Uh, I think that's the most recent one I watched. I like that because that's basically Ribbon Scott doing Rashomon, um House Rashomon, just in a medieval uh, time period. I liked that a good bit. Um, haven't seen House of Gucci yet, so no. I opinion haven't seen anymore. it yet. Um, yeah, the
0: next one on my list, actually, probably.
1: The Soderbergh film, No Sudden Move, was pretty darn good.
0: Oh, um, I haven't seen that one.
1: It was, on, it, was, it was on, it was on, it was every, on, everything I saw was on HBO Max, you know, because all <laughs> appearing there. Um, <clears throat> thank gosh.
0: I, I watched Belfast recently and I really, really loved it. It was so beautifully directed and the, the um, performances were really poignant. I think especially as a mom too, mm-hmm. that era and mm-hmm. your family being all in one block and this city yeah. and this time and like, you don't want to leave your family and how bad will this war really be, and mm-hmm. no one really knows, and mm-hmm. um, it just—it was a—it was stunning performances. And the the little boy, I think he was only nine, uh, giving that performance, and it was gripping. It was beautiful. I need to
1: see it. I need to see it. And I just—I just thought of the one, the one that pops my head. Uh, I watched the Lost Daughter recently.
0: Oh, that's next up in my queue. That's based on the Elena Ferrante <coughs> novel, and I'm a really right. big fan of uh, the show that aired on HBO. That were was the, uh, um. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. It'll come to me the name. We'll
1: I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, because um, it was all in Italian, and the actors were just phenomenal in that one as well.
1: But The Lost Daughter is, is a, a masterpiece. Um, also, like, anything that, that just drops Olivia Coleman front and center has my attention immediately. <laughs> um, it's tremendous because it's it's set up like a thriller, but it's really it's a character piece, you know, um, uh, about, like, you know, unearthing trauma. Um, so I, yeah, I had the best time ever
0: oh great. amazing i'm gonna have to see that there i read the elena ferrante novels after watching the hbo show that i'm now gonna kick, kick myself for forgetting the name of because i have the italian name of it in my head right
1: uh, right
0: the, the novels were so beautifully written and translated they were so beautifully translated no she's a tremendous novelist uh, out mm-hmm. of uh, out of italy
1: excellent excellent yeah i haven't read i i've i've, I've read none of her stuff but uh but uh, now I own it all on Kindle, so I will catch up soon.
0: That's pretty cool. Are you a reader?
1: I'm. A, I'm a, of course, I'm a heavy reader. Novels I think any reader, and
0: like any memoirs, 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 or what? What? It, what? Novels, memoirs, graphic novels, comics.
1: Um, I don't have as much time as I once did, but I. But I usually put down like ten or twelve books a month.
0: Oh, 10 or twelve books a month, and you haven't read mm-hmm. mine yet? Wait a minute.
1: <laughs> Yours is next <laughs> on the queue. You know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh my god, that's so funny. Um It was it was more when my, I was the My New York. Brilliant Friend. My Brilliant Friend is the name of that, uh the show on HBO and it's yes. stunning. And then they did a documentary about the making of, um, which was also amazing, came out on Amazon Prime. Uh, The documentary And it's really interesting Watching the Italian director's process With the actors Which is so intimate They did a lot of training Of these actors Who'd not acted before They were Mm -hmm. cast You know Kind Mm -hmm. of cold audition And then they really Really worked with them To develop these characters Before they got into shooting And the process Was just phenomenal Even in scenes Where the director Would sit right next To the actress And explain Mm -hmm. You know what, What now Here's what you're feeling Now here's where to go with it and uh, what ended up being captured cool. was just amazing from that process
1: it sounds like they had just a great language and communication that's, that's fantastic and yeah. I, I, european directors are very different very in very that different,
0: regard right yeah very different it was beautifully shot as well i feel like anything that gets shot in italy you always get that light Agreed. and the light just ripples through it and it's compelling storytelling
1: absolutely i'm, I'm a giant yeah. italian film fan you know going back to uh, um, Fellini, you know Ventura, everything, the, the every Dario Argento for the, for the horror stuff as well too. Uh, yeah, that's so no, fun. Uh, yeah, it's, you're it's very
0: w- very well versed. Did you like Rome? Were you an HBO Rome fan?
1: I was big time.
0: Yeah, I was a big time fan as well. It was just so, ugh, every every single thing that came together for it to be so good, the performances and the writing and then being set at Chinachita and all the beautiful costuming and it was just luscious. It was so Absolutely,
1: agree. Absolutely one,
0: agree. If you guys listening haven't seen it, you should totally go back and rewatch it was the biggest budget, you know, show of its age. And um, then it was then, of course, dwarfed by the budgets in Game of Thrones. But you see sure, sure. Where, where television went from there. It was really <laughs> interesting.
1: It was and also weird. co-created by John Milius, no less, the man who created Conan the Barbarian. So it's, 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 a, it's a tremendously great show.
0: Yeah, it is. Very sexy. Very sexy.
1: It is very sexy indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, I want to thank you for your time for joining me on the podcast uh, today. I'm so grateful. Um, well, thank, thank you, you for having me. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Entertainment Business Wisdom. We invite you to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Please like, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. Kaya Alexander can be reached on twitter for your questions or comments at this is kaya get entertainment business career training as well as a free special report how to pitch anything in one minute at www.entertainmentbusinessleague.com thank you